We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast, UConn Men's Basketball, College Basketball Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name, of course, is Rob Doster. Uh, we are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. And, you know, I got a fun show on the way today. I'm gonna, I think we're going to do something a little bit different here uh, because we're going to talk about actual basketball games. Basketball, the next time you're going to hear from me, uh, basketball will have happened. UConn is hosting Stonehill, a Division II newcomer, a team that's going to the NEC from the NE10. Um, so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a game to talk about. And you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna do a little bit of a Stonehill preview for the Almanac. I was the guy that wrote the NEC preview. I know the NEC better than anybody that doesn't coach in the league right now. I can guarantee see that uh by the way the almanac link in the description 1999 if you are a betting man or woman and you want to find a way to be able to get an edge on bet rivers uh the best way to be able to do that is to buy the almanac and find out all the things that the guys that's making the lines over at bet rivers that they don't know yet because i promise you we know more about college basketball especially the teams in the lower ranks than the guys that are making those lines and setting those lines uh so be able to find an edge make sure you go up and pick that up and while i'm telling you this why don't you go and uh, subscribe to the Field of 68 Daily as well? That is our daily newsletter. It comes out every morning, 8.30 a.m. The best thing for you to be able to uh, to read while you drink your morning coffee. Um, and, you know, while we're at it, check out the merch store. Field of 68.shop is the best way for you to pick up Field of 68 branded gear. Um, all those links, they're in the descriptions. Whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're listening to this in a podcast app, just down below make sure uh you click those links and you know what else before we actually get into this preview i do have to mention uconn football four and five baby three wins in their last four or is uconn officially a football school now i don't know we're getting kind of close jim moore jr is gonna find a way to get it done uh in all seriousness um it's very odd for me to walk into a situation where 
I may consider betting on UConn football and doing so as a 15 and a half point favorite. Fading UMass is the most profitable thing that you can do in the college football business. It's the same thing as fading Chicago State on the basketball side. It's going to be the same thing as fading Hartford this year. You know, you bet against the bad teams. UMass is a bad team. I think that that is something that we can all agree on. Uh, so UConn, the lines move from 11 and a half to 15 and a half at Bet River. So I don't know if it's necessarily something I'm going to be comfortable with, but I mean, shit, how often are you going to be able to actually bet on UConn as a 15 and a half point favorite? So we're going to do that. Um, all right. After this preview uh, of the Stonehill game, I was able to talk with a source that was in the gym when UConn played uh, Virginia in their secret scrimmage. Um, I know that the UConn uh, guys like to keep these things as secret as possible, and I understand why, uh, but I do think that there are some things that we can talk about there. I'll get more to that in, in, in a second. So um, first and foremost, Stonehill. They are making the leap up from the NE10 into the NEC. Uh, this is not the first time that this has happened. We've seen Bryant go from the NE10 to the NEC, and now they are in the America East. We've seen Mass Lowell go from the NE10 to the NEC, um, and we've seen Mary Matt go from the NE10 uh, to the NEC. I'm sorry, UMass Lowell went to the America East. We've seen Mary Matt go from the NE10 uh, to the NEC. Um, and it's not always uh, a difficult transition for Division II teams making the leap up to the next level. Merrimack, if you've forgotten, won the NEC their first year uh, in the conference. They won the, won the regular season title in 2020, um, the year that the COVID, ter- uh, COVID ended the NCAA tournament. Um, and Bellarmine. Uh, down in Kentucky. They went from Division Two to Division One, and they've been one of the best teams in the Atlantic Sun since. They haven't made the tournament because they weren't allowed to, but they've been one of the best teams um, in the uh, Atlantic Sun. And I think it's important to note that because at the Division Two level, there are still going to be really skilled basketball players, really good basketball players, really smart basketball players coming, especially coming out of the, the NE10. That is a good uh, basketball, high ba- uh, basketball IQ league. Now, the biggest difference that you're going to see from guys at the Division II level, especially at the Division III level, is it's it's simply a matter of size and athleticism, right? The guys that end up being really good Division II players have all the Division I skills that you could possibly want, but instead of being a six foot nine center, they're a six foot four, six foot five, six foot six center. Um, instead of being a six foot seven wing with a seven foot wingspan, they're a six foot three wing with a six foot three wingspan. Um, and I think Stonehill is a perfect encapsulation of this. Uh, their two best players are going to be on the front line. Um, Andrew Sims uh, is a six foot six, two hundred pound uh, kind of uh, inside out four. I guess is probably the best way to phrase it. He's someone that averaged fifteen points and six boards last season in the NEC. Averaged a couple assists. Um, he's a skilled foreman. He's going to try to pull people away from the basket. He shot just 27% from three, but he is a guy that can make those shots. He can space the floor. He can pass. Um, Stonehill runs a motion offense, and it's something where they rely on their big guys to be able to step away from the basket and kind of facilitate. They'll run thing, uh, run offense through those guys in the high post, and I think that's something where you're going to see one of the game plans that Chris Krause has is to pull Adama Sonogo and pull Donovan Klingon and pull Samson Johnson away from the basket to try to create space in the lane that's not going to be there uh, otherwise. So uh, I think we're also going to see um, the other the other best player on the team is Max Zegarowski, who is Marcus Zegarowski's uh, brother, the former Creighton point guard. This dude is a knockdown shooter. He's 6'6". He shot 43% from three uh, last season on more than six and a half attempts. He also played in the Division II ranks last year, transferred to Stonehill for the chance to go to Division I and play um, in the NEC. So those two guys are going to kind of be 
uh, the names that you need to know. They're going to be the guys that try to pull UConn's bigs away from the basket. They're going to be the guys that try to create that space in the lane uh, for Stonehill guards potentially being able to penetrate. Now, um, there's a couple other names you need to know. Cole Bergen is a transfer from uh, Northern State who averaged four assists, uh, four assists per game as a six foot seven kind of big wing, small ball four uh, kind of a piece. It's going to be a challenge for him um, going up against this kind of a front line. Um, and, you know, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it's going to be a good learning experience for Adama Sanogo, Donovan McClingan, Samson Johnson, all of these UConn bigs to, to have to deal with this, right? Um, pulling them away from the basket and forcing them to make decisions defensively on the perimeter is going to be something that happens uh, quite a bit during the college basketball season. I mean, this is what we, we, we see in the sport is you're trying to switch pick and rolls. You're trying to play a little bit more drop coverage. You want your big guys to be able to defend a little bit more on the perimeter uh, than necessarily just standing in front of the basket and taking up space. Uh, so it's going to be a good test for them there. Now, the counter to that, of course, is that all of the dudes on Stonehill are like 6'6 and 200 pounds. They are smaller than Andre Jackson, and these are Stonehill's, the, the Skyhawks' frontline players. They have no chance defensively one-on-one in the paint against Adama, against Donovan, against Samson. Like they, They're just going to get completely overwhelmed because of size and athleticism and simple, like just, just sheer strength. It's going to be a total mismatch. Um, the perimeter is where things kind of get interesting to me because – uh, Stonehill does have a couple of guys that do have Division One experience on their wings. Isaiah Burnett last season averaged 12 points and four assists. He shot 40% from three. He's six foot five. He's athletic. He began his career at Navy. He is a Division One athlete that was playing at the Division Two level, and he should have the size and strength and physicality to be able to deal with some of UConn's guards. Um, the same thing can be said with for uh, Thatcher Stone, who is more of like a six foot seven uh, wing um, that transferred in from William and Mary last year. And he's going to be a guy that's called upon to deal with some of the length and athleticism of UConn's wings. Uh, I would not be surprised to see um, to see Isaiah be the guy that ends up getting the first chance at, at trying to guard and trying to slow down Jordan Hawkins and, and keeping him from running off the screens and keeping him from getting going. Uh, the backcourt, Josh Mack and uh, Jackson Benigni are the names that you need to know. They're good NEC guards. They're small, but they can get hot, especially Benigni. He's more of the score where Mack is more of like the pest defensively, the ball mover, and the guy that's going to make an open shot if you leave him wide open and let him get his feet set. Um, both of them are, are are fine. Both of them are about six foot. Both of them uh, should probably get eaten up by the size and athleticism of UConn's backcourt. And, uh, which brings me to to what we can actually expect to see happen in this game. And the line has not been released yet as of the time of this recording, uh, but Ken Palm right now currently projects it as an 84-54 final with UConn winning by 30 in a game where the total is 138. Now, I'm not going to be, feel comfortable doing this, and I'm not going to feel great about it uh, because I never like betting lines that are that big, but I do think that based on UConn's ability to pound the glass, based on the way that they can kind of beat up smaller teams in the paint. And based on some of the things that I've heard coming from uh, the, the guy we're going to talk about with the secret, uh, secret scrimmage, UConn is going to make an emphasis and a concerted effort to get the ball in the paint and take advantage of their size as much as they possibly can, especially in this game. They're going to pound the glass. And I just, it's the kind of thing where I, I, I can see Adama putting up a huge stat line and Donovan Klingon putting up big numbers and, and having some of their other big guys just, you know, completely, uh, completely overwhelm Stonehill on the offensive glass. So um, there are a couple talking points that I want to, I want to mention 
for things that you need to take away from this game and things that I think are important to kind of keep an eye on, right? I'm not going to take anything away from the numbers that that the big guys on UConn put up in this game simply because like they they should, right? I, I don't think it's crazy to think that that Sonogo and Klingon can combine for like 40 points and 15 boards in this one and get eight boards on the off uh, eight offensive rebounds eight and, and get 14 points um off of second champ chance points. I, I the 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 raw numbers and the stat lines and the counting stats that we see from those big guys is just it's a complete mismatch and it's not something that I think we necessarily want to read too much into. Uh, what I will say is this, how well UConn de- the, the UConn bigs defend on the perimeter is something that I will be keeping an eye on, right? Um, is Adama Sonogo in the right place? Is Donovan Klingon able to move his feet uh, and, and switch on a ball screen? Or is he able to play drop coverage? Is he able to um, deal with a, a smaller but potentially quicker uh, forward on the perimeter? Is he able to close out and contest shots if they play Max Zagorowski um, at times at the five? So, are they lost? Like, are they in? The, are they able to uh, get out on the perimeter and still find a way to get back and get in the help side and protect the rim um, if need be? So the the X's and O's part of it and making sure that those guys understand what they're supposed to do on that end of the floor to me is significantly more important than anything we look at when it comes to points or rebounds or offensive boards or shooting percentage or going fourteen for fifteen from the floor. Like that stuff is not necessarily going to matter, right? Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner is a lot bigger than Andrew Sims. So it's just, it's not something that I think is going to be relevant uh, necessarily moving forward. I'm also really curious to see what happens at the point guard spot. Um, And we haven't talked much about Andre Jackson's injury uh, on this podcast or in this space. Um, And I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn on the impact that I think that this is going to end up having um, and whether or not this could be like a good thing long-term or a bad thing long-term. And and let me kind of flesh that out before anybody gets mad at me on the one hand, I do think that getting Asan Diara and Tristan Newton increased reps early in the season just to see if one of them is good enough to win this job and take over this job is something that could be important, right? Finding out right away if Asan Diara um, put up, didn't put up great numbers at Texas A&M because there were too many guards in the backcourt or because he wasn't good enough to play in the SEC is going to be something that, that we want to find out as soon as possible. Uh, finding out if Tristan Newton actually has the ability to kind of beat some of these uh, some of these Division One defenders off the dribble. And if the fact that he's not the most explosive guy, if he can still find a way to be crafty and and um, and and win in certain matchups, I think is something that's going to be important to find out. And there's no better way to find out than to throw them into real games and, and kind of let them rock. Uh, at the same time, I think that we kind of know what those guys are, right? We kind of have a feel for where they're going to be. And I think that it is fair to say that neither of them are going to live up to the expectations if your expectations are for them to replace RJ Cole uh, in total. Um, Which kind of leads me to, to the conversation when it comes to Andre Jackson, because I do think that the plan prior to him breaking his finger was that UConn wanted him uh, to be the guy at the point. I don't know if he necessarily would have been the full-time starting point guard, but when it comes to like crunch time minutes and the most important possessions of the game, it felt like that was the direction that it was trending. Andre Jackson was going to be the guy that uh, had the ball put in his hands and was going to be asked to make decisions, was going to ask to be the ball handler. And if that's the case, he's never really done that full-time for UConn and letting him get some live reps against a competition that was not wearing the other color of a UConn practice jersey 
going up against the likes of Stonehill and the likes of Delaware State and the likes of BU and some of these other uh, low and mid-major programs would have been a great way for him to kind of get reps, get some of that experience under his belt, get some uh, get some confidence playing that role, kind of learn exactly how to do it against somebody that is not your teammate that is that knows what's coming. Um, so I think that getting him reps there, if that was going to be what it was going to be long-term, was going to be important because now you're looking at a situation where he's going to be thrown into the fire, having never really done it before um, against high major competition in the PK 85, whether it's Oregon, whoever UConn ends up getting in the second round of that thing, or if he doesn't make it back for the PK 85. And, and uh, based on my conversation with Hurley at big East media day, it sounded like, um, like they were hoping but weren't necessarily super confident in the fact that, that, um, that Andre Jackson was going to be back for, uh, for at least the start of that thing, maybe later in the, the tournament, it's just kind of like on the edge of the six weeks, whenever the, the amount of time that you're supposed to be out. So um, that's just, if he doesn't come back for PK 85, the first game that he's going to end up playing is Oklahoma state who was a top five defense last year, nationally, who's ball Hawks, who switches everything, who has like 11 guys that are six foot six and athletic that kind of climb underneath you. It just, it's going to be a very difficult thing for him to step into that role the first time that he's going to be doing it uh, against some of the competition that he's going to be playing. So um, I'm kind of torn on, on where I stand. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments or, or um, in the description. And, and and if I'm, if I'm, if I'm off base there, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I'm just, it's going to, I don't think that there necessarily is the right answer either. I think that we're going to be having these conversations about the UConn uh, point guard spot for the entire season. It just kind of is what it is uh, when you, um, when you're trying to replace a guy that was very clearly one of the best point guards in college basketball last season. All right. So let's get into some of the takeaways uh, from, from the scrimmage um, that UConn had against Virginia. Like I said, I spoke with a source that is, is kind of connected to um, Virginia. Uh, I trust this person's basketball IQ. Um, The thing that I thought was interesting is they really weren't at all, um, familiar with UConn so these are like there's no preconceived notions no preconceived ideas it was just someone that was putting together a scouting report um, watching some film grinding some tape and then watching this team play for more or less the first time and and uh you know I trust this person's basketball like you like I said and I thought some of the takeaways that they had were uh were pretty fascinating now I'm not going to talk specifics about what happened like point totals scores any of that stuff because one, I think when when you're dealing with secret scrimmages, it, it's not like you're not playing to win that game, right? There's going to be times where you set up special situations to try to work on one thing. There's going to be times where you're playing different rotations to try to see, like, can we play these two guys together? Can we play these two big guys together? Can we play with three different guards on the floor? Can we put together different roster rotations? Uh, if we run this offense, does it work? If we run this defense, does it? so like you're experimenting, you're trying to figure out what exactly you have with your team, which is where the value of it comes in, right? The idea that this team beat this team in a scrimmage or this team lost to this team in the scrimmage, like the, the actual numbers don't really matter because there's no like set sustained rule. So you hear these numbers and you get this idea of it and it doesn't exactly equate to what happened on that court. It's a practice. It's a glorified practice where you're bringing somebody else in to try to get, uh, like I said, someone wearing a different something other than a different color practice jersey um, to be able to learn and practice against. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, so I think that is important to note. Um, so I'm not going to talk about specifics. I'm not going to talk about who won. I'm not going to talk about who had X points and, and any of that, because I don't think that that is relevant for what you would take away from something like this. Um, I also want to put together the caveat that, uh, the one thing this guy said was that it was the worst officiated basketball that he's ever seen. Um, for some reason, the the refs literally called fouls on everything so that it was hard to kind of get into a flow. And there were lots of free throws, which you don't really want to see out of a situation like this. Like no one wants to practice free throws when you got that other team in the gym. You want to see if you can run your stuff against them. You want to see if you uh, if your defense actually works. You want to see if you uh, your offense is going to be able to be effective. So um, I think that that's. Uh, that's a good enough caveat. So let's talk a little bit about what the, the, the takeaways were. And I think first and foremost, you're not going to be surprised by this. Uh, he was blown away by how hard UConn played. Um, the quote that he said was, uh, it epitomizes Dan Hurley. They play with an effort. They play with a toughness. Uh, they rebound extremely hard. They play with passion. It just, it, it's, it's kind of what everything that you would expect out of a UConn team. And, and, and the first time seeing it, uh, for this guy was something that kind of blew him away. Um, and I, I, I think you would be shocked to find out that he loved it. And, and he doesn't think that UConn is ever going to be an easy team to beat just because they play so damn hard, they play so damn physical, and they're so damn good uh, on the glass, especially getting to the offensive glass. Um, the other thing that I, I, I found encouraging uh, that I like to hear, and I'm sure I'm, I'm positive that, that Dan Hurley and the coaching staff is going to like to hear, is just how impressed he was with the way that they were well-drilled and crisp on the offensive end of the floor. Um, the thing about UConn that I've, I've talked about on this podcast before is they like they run so many sets. They have so much offense. They have um, so many different counters. They have so many different things that they can – different reads that they can run off of the same look. Um, uh, it was here, – here's what he said. It was – they were intricate and they were great at changing angles on ball screens and post, post touches. It, it's just I, – I there are people that question – Dan Hurley's X's and O's IQ. And I, I think if you know what you're looking at and you watch them run offense, there's no way that you can question how well drilled this team is, how well practiced they are. That they're they're robots. They 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 are a tough prep because 
Um, I mean, there's just so many different counters and so many different looks that they can give you and so much false motion. It's so hard to figure out exactly what they are running uh, based off of one set or the start of an action. So um, the other thing he was really impressed with was, was just how good they were at creating duck-ins uh, and creating easy post touches for Adama Sanogo and Donovan Klingon. Like I said, changing angles on ball screen, changing the angles of a post touch, finding ways where your big fellow just has to uh, put his body in a certain spot, catch the ball, turn the lay it in. Like those are those are the easiest baskets you can get in the world. Um, nobody is better at that in the world than Bill Self, and Bill Self is coming off of winning a national title with uh, David McCormick at the five. So um that is something that is very good it's something that can work in college basketball in 2023 and it's something that i am uh i'm not surprised about because it's something that i expect but it's good to hear that this is something that is uh that is working um you know and he was also really impressed with the Sanogo, which i mean of course he was that's a top 10 player in college basketball he's fucking good okay uh, and he did it against a uva team that has good big experience front court pieces um the thing that I found really fascinating about this conversation, though, was how impressed they were. Um, and it wasn't just him. It was the, the UVA staff, how impressed they were with some of the perimeter guys. Right. And um, they didn't shoot it great necessarily, but they had a lot of guys that were, as he put it, shooting with confidence, which I think matters. You know, sometimes you're going to make shots. Sometimes you're going to miss shots. Sometimes you're going to go six for nine. Sometimes you're going to go two for nine. Um UConn did not, I guess, shoot it great in the scrimmage, but they got good looks and and they had guys that were shooting it like they thought it was going to end up going in. Uh, He loved Hawkins, loved him. Um, And like I said, Hawkins didn't shoot it great, but uh, the way that 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 he kind of looked at it was like there's guys on scouting reports where you want to challenge everything that they shoot. And then there's guys on scouting reports where you say, just don't let them get a shot off. You know, I don't care if it's challenged. Don't let them get a shot off. And that's basically what Jordan Hawkins uh, kind of is like his beautiful release. And I think that um, the early returns are that he's going to find a way to be able to score a lot of points because the other positive thing that I took away from this conversation is that Hawkins was able to get to the free throw line a bunch in this game. Like he didn't, he didn't necessarily shoot it great from the perimeter, but he was able to actually get points on the board uh, by drawing fouls. And I think that is a, that's an important thing because I, I think that if you are a shooter that, can't do anything else and can't find a way to impact a game. If you're not making four five, six threes, then you're really not that good of a piece. And, and hearing that, that Hawkins was able to get to the free throw line and get buckets on a night where he wasn't um, having a seven for eight kind of performance is a good thing. Um, but so this is the most interesting part to me about the entire conversation. He felt like the focus on uh, getting interior touches was probably a little bit too much. And what I mean by it, um, is that a lot of times establishing the post for a basketball team is kind of like establishing the run for a football team in the sense that as soon as you're able to force defenses to bring another defender into the box and play with a seven, eight man box, then all of a sudden uh, you run a play action fake and you have wide receivers running open. You have tight ends running open. You have too many guys um too many guys close to the line of scrimmage, you can hit balls over the top, and that's when you get the big explosive plays. And the thinking is that by establishing the the post and by establishing Adama Sanogo as, as a dominant force, it's going to force defenses to collapse in on him, and that, as a result, is going to create open shots for shooters on the perimeter when the ball gets kicked back out and moved around. Now, what this guy was saying is that um, 
is that the focus should be more the 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 perimeter pieces are good enough that the focus should be on creating those guys looks and forcing defenses to pull out which will then allow you to go inside to Adama and get him one-on-one and get him opportunities where he's able to just kind of turn and lay it in. And it's all like both of these things have to work together, right? Both of them have to work in concert. The concept of being able to have somebody in the middle that can take advantage of mismatches and switches is something that you need. Being able to have shooters that force you to pull defenders away from the basket and create space for drivers, for post-ups, that's something that you need in basketball as well. Like it can't just be one one or the other. You know, if you don't have shooters, then Adama Sanogo is getting triple teamed every time he touches it, and there's nothing you can do. Uh, if you don't have a guy like Adama Sanogo on the block, then, well, we all saw what happened at home against Providence last year when they just switched everything, and UConn had uh, no pressure release where they could take advantage of, uh, of a mismatch inside. So you ha- it has to work in concert. What I found fascinating was he thought the perimeter guys were good enough that you didn't have to go to Sanogo first that you could find a way to get buckets for those guys and create shots for those guys and use Adama as the counter. And um, a lot of that is just kind of basketball philosophy. You know, Dan Hurley is going to believe one thing. Another coach is going to believe you got to do it a different way. As long as it's balanced and it's working together, it's all going to make sense. I thought my takeaway from the way that he phrased it was that it's a good thing for UConn that their perimeter players are good enough that that's actually a conversation, Right. Instead of just saying, yeah, they got a Domus and Ogo and a bunch of guys, it's like, well, you know what? If you need to go to Jordan Hawkins first, you can do it. If you need to go to Alex Caravan first, you can do it. If you need to let one of those point guards, whether it's Hassan DR or whoever else, uh, kind of make a play, you can do it. If you need to create a shot for Naheem Aline running off of a pin down, you can do it. And I think that means UConn's going to be more balanced. So I'm going to choose to take that as a, uh, as a good thing and a, as a positive thing moving forward. Um, I also just want to add, like, I know that, that Virginia has not been great recently, but I also think that this Virginia team is going to be very, very, very good. When we did our ACC preview show with a couple of ACC experts, Terrence Oglesby and Randolph Childress, who both played in that conference. They both picked UVA to win the ACC this season over North Carolina and over Duke. Uh, to me, UVA is like a top 15 team. They don't have a lot of pros on this roster. Like there is no Kyle Guy or Ty Jerome or DeAndre Hunter, but they got old dudes that have all been in the system now. They returned their top six players from last year. Um, and they have a couple guys that are ready for breakout seasons, uh, specifically Reese Beatman and Cajun Shedrick, who I heard played really, really well in that matchup. So um, the the fact that UConn was basically able to play them to a stalemate without Andre Jackson, uh, I think is something that we can be bullish on. Now, keep in mind, every coach in college basketball thinks that their team sucks right now. Every single one. It doesn't matter who you talk to. Every coach is going to think that their team sucks right now. It's part of the reason why it'd be nice if we can get some more like preseason games you know the stuff that happened with the gonzaga in tennessee last friday like let's get some preseason games in college basketball let's allow these guys to have uh, more chances to get reps against high major really good quality competition so we get more games that matter happening in the first week of the season so it's not like hey you know what the first five games that uconn plays are a bunch against a bunch of teams that no one wants to watch those games do you really want to watch them beat stonehill by 40 i'm going to do it because it's uconn and i haven't watched uconn basketball in seven months but it's not like something I'm sitting here like I can't wait to watch it. So uh, being able to get these guys more reps, have them more confident in their team early in the season would be a way to uh, to to create more opportunities to have marquee matchups in the first week. So we don't have a you know college basketball opening day. There's not one game that I necessarily want to or need to watch. So um, back to the point. Most teams think their most coaches think their team sucks. 
this guy is not a huge fan of his program or of, of Virginia right now, like doesn't really understand why uh, people like Randolph Childress and Terrence Ogilvy are picking him to win the ACC. Um, and so he also said that he views UConn as more of like a top 35, top 40 team, which I think just kind of is an impact of saying like, we didn't play great against them and, and they didn't play great against us. And we're really not necessarily all that good. Um, but he also said he thinks they can compete for a Big East title, which I think says more about what this team is than anything else, right? The, the, the balance is there. Everything else is there. They're going to guard. They're going to beat you up on the glass. They're going to try to find a way to get second chance points. Um, so he came away impressed. He thought that they were good. Uh, I think that they're good. Um, UConn staff probably thinks that they suck, but eventually they're probably going to think that they're pretty good. So uh, I, I think ju- I think overall – College basketball coaches are horrible when it comes to judging uh, the sport from a national perspective. Like they know their team. They probably know the teams in their league uh, and they know like the last two teams that they played and the next two teams that they're going to play beyond that. Like they're, they're locked in on their own shit. They're not worried about what's happening with the rest of the world. So, um, Oh, one other note. He loves Samson Johnson, man. Like he, he said he has the potential to be a quote Tyrus Thomas or a Stromile Swift. Now to me right now, that's probably a bridge too far especially this early because the other thing this guy said is that uh, he is quote not skilled um, but the athleticism is off the charts like I, I you don't need me to tell you that like just go watch a layup line right go watch a YouTube video go search his name on Twitter and see some of the dunks that he's thrown down uh, he's he's a freak so let's hope that there's a way that that UConn and the UConn staff can can unlock Samson this year because if they do man like that dude is just he, – he's hes a game changer if he can find a way to figure it out. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. Um, I, I, I was uh, i was pleased hearing about the way that UConn looked from, from the other side. Um, I feel good about where this team is heading into the season. And, you know, hopefully we're just going to – it's going to be a long road, but they got to find a way to be able to make the point guard situation work. Uh, I think they're going to find a way to make it happen. So, uh, without further ado – UConn basketball is finally here, baby. So we'll see you guys again next week. And hopefully we're talking about big, big, big UConn. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.